Welcome to LPO, Landing Page Optimization. Landing Page Optimization expert, Tim Ash, is here to show you what it takes to create optimal landing pages. LPO brings you detailed case studies, opinions, and analysis from the leaders of landing page optimization. Now here's your host, Tim Ash. Welcome back, loyal listeners. This is your host, Tim Ash, with LPO, Landing Page Optimization. I'm continuing my series of expert interviews with Tammy Everts. Uh, Tammy was a recent speaker at our a huge sold-out uh, annual now uh, conversion conference, Las Vegas. Uh, she's the senior researcher and evangelist at SOSTA. It's an acronym. I can't even pronounce what it stands for. Welcome to the show, Tammy. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so for those folks that, that don't know what you do, can you give us a little bit of background uh, in terms of the work that you do? Yeah, um, so I have a great job. Um, there are a lot of people out there who are, are product evangelists at companies, and their job is to go out and, and shill product, and they do a great job of that. My job is more like I'm a problem evangelist. So um, there are a number of problems that uh, companies have in the performance space in terms of how to make their, their web applications and their websites as performant as possible and to help um, kind of serve their users as, 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 as well as they can. And uh, my job is to just identify what those problems are and um, write, write about them in kind of nuanced ways and, and um, let people know then kind of where to go in terms of uh, finding a, a, a solution. Well, you know, so that, that goes to the core of being, I think, a good conversion optimizer. In a way, you have to be a detective and also to be really skeptical and look, look for problems, right? So exactly. you have to be, yeah. have, have kind of never be satisfied, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, there, and there's always new problems to find. And so my job is to go out there and, and snip them out and, uh, and write about them, get the word out there. Well, what, what, so what kind of arenas do these problems fall into? For the past almost 20 years, I've been writing about user experience and studying user experience. My background is working in, in usability test labs and running user tests. So that's kind of the, the platform that I start from. Um, the, the problems that I've been writing about for the last six years uh, are really interesting to me. And they're problems that even now are, are not problems that um, necessarily every site owner is aware of, and that is um, just the, the issue of load time, how quickly pages render, how the pages themselves render, which, which elements render first, and ultimately what impact that has on your users in terms of you know, how quickly do they bounce. Well let's, well, let's talk about that. So, you know, the, the typical kind of view of uh, conversion optimizers or even web developers is, okay, you give me that uh, layered Photoshop file and I'll cut it up into pieces and cascading style sheets, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, so, but basically we're working with a static version. So when we see a page and we talk about the user experience, it's kind of like it's already there. But in fact, the user experience is happening as the page loads, so there's the waiting before anything happens, there's parts of the page that load and others like images may not have loaded yet or some things load later and the page redraws itself. There's all kinds of user experience stuff going on in those fractions of a second, right? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I, and I was definitely guilty of this back in my, my 
days working with design teams to build pages and 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 test them. Where as a as a tester, we're kind of operating in an ivory tower. You know, we bring our we bring our our testers in, and they sit at generally these really nice Macs. In you know they're they're close to the server where the pages are being hosted on, or else the pages are just sort of static wireframes, and so they're getting this like lightning fast user experience. And it doesn't actually mimic how pages function in the real world. So that was the interesting thing for me when I when I migrated over to this space was just seeing that massive gap between how pages function in the lab and how they function in the real world. Well, somebody I- once said you know, that uh, there's a what's it uh, in in theory, theory and practice are the same. In practice, <laughs> in practice they're not. You know, so <laughs> I think I love that saying. So okay, so let's 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 isolate this. Okay, so there is the uh, there's different kinds of delays, and all delays are evil. I think for uh, two three years ago, Google did a, a survey, and they said for a if there's a point four second, less than half a second uh, delay in page load time across a bunch of industries, conversions go down fifteen percent. Most of those would kill our mother for a 15% increase in conversion, right? And here we're seeing this massive drop-off. But let's talk about what contributes to the delay. So there's the actually going out and asking the server for a page. Yeah. Right. Somewhere on the internet's a server and we asked it for a page. Then there's the server putting that page together. Then there's the return trip of coming back to us. Then there's on our computer kind of rendering or drawing that page. Are those two good crude buckets to put things into? Yeah, so we, and we can get into those buckets a little a little bit more deeply. So starting at the beginning, you know, with with um, basically back end time, server time. So a lot of people historically, whenever um, people tried to correct performance, they would just the solution was to throw more servers at it because the issue was that you know your servers were getting overloaded, that sort of thing. This day and age, that's really less of a problem. Most people, if you have had a site for any period of time, especially if you're if you're a bigger operation, you are completely servered up. You've got load balancers in place. You've got everything in place. And, and you and you can do it for peak performance. So you know it's it's typical that there's an order of magnitude greater surge capacity than your typical load on the website, right? Exactly. And you and you can you're monitoring that constantly. So you know the, the really intelligent systems doing a lot of that work for you. So server over. Overload is not really the issue that it used to be. And, and if no- it is, you can always just move to the cloud and get infinite on-demand capacity. I mean, exactly. There's ways to scale that pretty easily. Completely, yeah. Um, and that, So there's an interesting stat that's kind of emerged about, oh, I was going to say six years ago, but now time has flown. It's probably about nine years ago. Um, Steve Souders, um, who's kind of a, a guru in the performance space, wrote a book, uh, has written about a few books uh, about high-performing websites, and he found that looking at massive amounts of, of, of data around a lot of different sites was that actually about 80 to 85% of performance um, happens at the front end. So that means it's not a back-end issue. It's actually happening within the user's browser. So this Right, so once it comes back to your computer, your computer's ability to create the page and the software, you know, the web browser. But wait, well, let, let's, talk, let's not skip over the, the forward and back part, too. So you have to go out to the Internet. Now, the big issue there is that you don't know where people will be waiting for the information. They could be anywhere in the world. So, you know, uh, how important is caching or doing what called content delivery networks or CDNs? 
So that, if you have, if you know, and you should know this from looking at your Google Analytics data, for example, you know where your traffic is coming from. If you know that you have fairly distributed a set of users, like throughout the U.S. or worldwide, you really do need to look into a content delivery network, also called a CDN for short. And there are, there used to be just a couple of players in the space, and using a CDN used to be a really expensive proposition. Now the space is very crowded with vendors at a lot of different price points. So there's really no excuse for not using a CDN. And there's so, and- so it's not like the the bad old days of just you know Akamai or go home, right? I mean, the, you know, even the small, even a small e-commerce site or uh, anybody can essentially afford that. It's now in the you know maybe a uh, few dollars or or dozens of dollars or low hundreds of dollars at all of those price points. There's CDN solutions. Exactly. And, you know, you're paying according to how much traffic um, you're sending through the, through the CDN. So, you know, if your traffic goes up, you pay more. But, you know, it just means that if, you're, if your traffic is kind of at a lower level, you know, you st- well, there's still a solution out there for you. Okay. Well, let, let, let's talk about the mechanics of that a little because we're just throwing these acronyms around like alphabet soup. But, mm-hmm. okay, so basically, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. So th- the idea is that there are copies of your website that are distributed kind of pre-staged as forward bases all over the Internet. So if somebody asked for it from Germany, there might be a server in Germany that will download the, the big files like, you know, product images in your catalog and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's still some dynamic parts of the website that will have to go back to your main servers and do some computation to create those pages. But any kind of static assets like mm-hmm. pictures, which are usually the big files or videos, are essentially out there on the periphery of the Internet. And one of those places is close to whoever is trying to access it. Exactly. Exactly. So um, uh, the, the the all those all those um, caches are also called um, pops or points of presence where um, you cache yeah images other static files that sit out there and you work with whatever CDN you have. So there's big ones like Akamai. There's um, kind of the newer ones like Fastly, uh, um, basically that you work with and they uh, you know you periodically. Or your highly dynamic site, for example, um, and I know Fastly does this really well. Um, if you have a highly dynamic site, uh, you can, are constantly pushing new images out to to your edge caches, so that they're they're um, sitting out there, and you are you know accelerating uh, rendering time that much faster. Because if you think about, uh, there's a, a term called latency, which people have a kind of a crude understanding of, which it basically just refers to the the delay in in um, serving any asset to a page. So by an asset, I mean things like image files or cascading style sheets or what have you. And typically, um, latency can be, you know, a lot of people think that it's, it's, it's not very much. Like, you know, the, you, you'll hear people say, oh, it's our latency per object is only 20 or 30 milliseconds. But actually, realistically, you know, we've done a few tests on this and, and looked at um, various customers' uh, data uh, here at SOSA. And latency is more typically kind of in the 100, 150 millisecond range. And so when you think about how many objects there are on a typical web page, the average web page has at least 100 page objects. So that's your HTML, your images, all the other files on your page. Each one of those is incurring its own latency penalty. So okay, well, we're going to have to come back after our yeah. break, and we'll pick it up there, and then uh, then we'll switch gears and talk about the the front end or what's happening on your computer to actually create this seemingly simple page. We'll be back in two minutes after a word from our sponsors. More LPO landing page optimization in just a moment. 
Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis, SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoth also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's maps and localized results. Providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world, The Hoth offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link building or citation building credits free by going to thehoth.com slash radio. T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. Welcome back to LPO, Landing Page Optimization, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's Tim Ash. And we're back. This is your host, Tim Ash, with LPO, Landing Page Optimization, continuing my conversation with Tammy Everts, uh, the Senior Researcher and Evangelist at Sosta. She is the queen of page load speed <laughs> problem diagnosis. How's that for a mouthful? Okay, so Tammy, before the break, we were talking about it was kind of the, this notion of of latency and and uh, what actually composes that. So when you have a page with you know typically a hundred objects that compose it and you know a hundred to hundred fifty millisecond or thousandth of a second delay, what does that mean in practical terms to to the user experience? Just the latency part of it. Yeah. So um, so you have all those objects, each of them incurring this latency penalty, and just all all of that adds up. I mean, even the best latest browser available like that, that's on the market today can only stream that or load eight objects at a time so you know you, it's kind of do it's pulling them across in you know in, in in these parallel streams and so you really see how that that latency hit which sounds so infinitesimal on its own you know just you know even if it's even if it is just 50 milliseconds um how that can add up over time to several okay so, yeah, well, okay, so let's just let's just kind of break that down let's just assume you have a a hundred files that need to be pulled across, and yeah. like you say, a browser can open up essentially eight parallel uh, ways of sucking the data down. So it can get eight objects at a time, and let's say all each of those is really fast and only takes a twentieth of a second or fifty milliseconds. Well, you're going to need to get a hundred objects. You're going to need twelve batches of eight to get to about a hundred. So you're talking about over half a second to just mm-hmm. suck all those objects across, right? Exactly. And that's not even including the actual download time for the object itself. You know, some individual objects can take six or seven or eight seconds just alone. So that's eating up that 
that stream, that parallel download stream um, that, that the browser is, is trying to do. So um, today's browsers so, work really, really hard. <laughs> they have a really thankless job. Yeah, and so, but it sounds like the, then the way, and now we're getting to the, okay, now you have all these puzzle pieces on the receiving end. Um, some of them, the actual experience for the visitors, the page can't even be drawn until certain pieces are there, right? So now we're talking about how the page is constructed, what order things load in. Let's talk about that. Let's start talking about what's happening on the computer in the browser. Okay. Um, so the so what we're looking at is, whenever a page loads is um, the the what the page needs first. For example, the cascading style sheet. Let's start. Let's start there. Um, today, you know, modern pages today, whether they're responsibly designed or or well, a lot of them are responsibly or adaptively designed, require. Um, uh, very specific style sheets to to load to make the to make the page better and and we you know we love those I love responsive design and um, I love the the flexibility and the customization that CSS gives us um, but if that if that CSS file is um, isn't optimized it's not. Um, it's it's not one of the first things to download in the page, and that ha- does happen sometimes. It's just not placed properly in the page code. Then what ends up happening is you, for the from the end user's perspective, is they're seeing a blank screen. But what's happening is that all the other page elements are downloading into the browser cache, so your images and everything else, sitting in the browser cache, waiting for that style sheet to show, finally show up and be parsed, interpreted by the browser. And when that finally happens then it can finally pull in all of your text and images and everything else. So you really see that, you know, this is where you're testing in the lab and people are seeing a static page versus, you know, how the page actually renders in the wild. There, there can be that massive gap. Okay. And so, yeah, so the, the kind of the key to unlock anything before anything can be drawn, the cascading style sheet has to be downloaded. And how massive can those be? I mean, is, are the files themselves getting pretty big with all of these responsive and conditional elements inside of them? It's not so much the size of the file. I mean, although I have seen CSS files that, that have taken six or seven seconds to load, um, but it, it's, wow. it's more... <laughs> that it's sounds more, pretty slow to me. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, between style sheets and, and hero images, it can be pretty brutal. Um, but it's, it's more the placement of the style sheet than anything else. Okay, got it. So exactly where it appears in the code when, when yeah. you ask for it. Right. Exactly. So, tip number one: if you haven't gotten this part already, get a CDN. For it doesn't <laughs> matter what size your website is. Tip number two: we're in your page encoding. Load the cascading style sheet first. Is that <laughs> that's two that's, good takeaways already? Two good takeaways. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, so now the, the page starts drawing. Um, you know, what? Uh, a lot of times we see this kind of like flicker or a page draws and then it moves around and redraws. What's going on when that's happening? Yeah, so that is called, the the, the word for that is janking and, uh, or the page being janky. And it's a good question. I don't know, I, I, I can't, I don't think I can answer that because I'm not a developer myself as to what's going on. Um, I would reckon it is an issue with the style sheet. But yeah, that's definitely another performance flaw right there and it's 
there's an interesting, actually, a, a study and a blog post done by Jacob Nielsen, the usability <laughs> expert, um, where he talks about actually the sort of the opposite problem that I'm talking about, which is um, pages being too fast. And he's talking actually about that specific problem where a page is rendering really quickly and almost more quickly than the, uh, the person can um, can perceive it with the naked eye if they're kind of if, if, and they're already trying to interact with it while these elements are still flying in in this janky kind of way. And the usability problem problem that you end up having is that people are clicking on the wrong elements. And we see that a lot with tablets, actually. I don't so, know so, you see, so you see uh, a certain element, like a button on a certain part of the screen, and you kind of start moving towards, towards it and to click on it, but it kind of shifts or, or mm-hmm. jitters to somewhere else on the page once the page is correctly loaded in, right? Exactly. And I see it, and I see this a lot, it just uh, like anecdotally, as it, like I'm a heavy tablet user when I'm kind of out on the road, and um, and I notice it more on tablets where, you know, I'll, I'll go to click on something and then it, it will move, like if page is still rendering. It's sort of a, it's a bit of a side tangent from what we're talking about, but it, it's, it's definitely a, a problem. Well, you know, this is all, it, I don't know that that's a side tangent. I mean, from a conversion standpoint, one of the things we talk a lot about is having trust in the website that you're visiting. And so if it's, it's acting squirrely, if there's a uh, you know, glitch in the matrix, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, then, then that kind of gives me a lower level of trust. That's an unexpected, oh, what the heck's going on here kind of moment. And mm-hmm. uh, it creates uncertainty and stress and uh, all those little kind of... Uh, Micro pops of of cortisol and your stress hormone are not are going against the trust you're trying to build. So I think it does bear on conversion. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Um, so so let's talk about then uh, ways that uh, you know, kind of. Well, you, you talked about one of the things that I hate most in the world was a giant banner images or hero shots. Uh, so so they're evil for a lot of reasons, but just in terms of page load speed. Um, talk about the impact of, or, or even dumber these days, we're seeing those moving, looping, parallax video backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the, how, I mean, everyone thinks we're just making the web so better and better, but there's still <laughs> these, these uh, patently stupid things happening. Yeah, so I mean, I, when I think about all of those elements, like you know, really huge hero images or parallax scrolling, I yeah, I approach it from thinking about just overall page size. So one of the things that I talk about a lot and I research a lot is just how pages have grown over the past several years, or even going back to 1995 when we first started measuring these things, um, and. A lot of people don't realize that the average page today, the average web page is, is over two megabytes in size, which if that doesn't impress you or kind of blow your mind, I would say you maybe, um, you know, just putting in perspective, uh, back in 1995, the average page was 14 kilobytes in size. Oh, so- wow. <laughs> so it's grown by 150 times. Yeah, it's 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 really insane. And, and even just over the course of the past three or four years, you know, just, I... I I can't remember if it was um, uh, three years ago or four years ago, the average page was one megabyte in size. So we've seen this doubling in size in a really short period of time. And the excuse that people make to rationalize it is, well, our networks are getting faster and, you know, we have more bandwidth and, you know, browsers are getting faster. And all those things are true to some degree, but actually not to the degree that they're mitigating the, this, this explosive growth in pages. So I kind of, I, I, I sort of joke, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I made a joke once that it, it's like there's Worth's Law and Moore's Law, you know, about how... Yeah. how 
technology is accelerating. I was I sort of jokingly refer to Tammy's law, which is that um, no matter how much we we how much improvement we make in these areas, there will be other people working in another another room somewhere else who are working really really hard to develop technologies that will just completely take the wind out of the sails of of, of the improvements that we're making. Oh hey hey, we've seen that on a thirty year trajectory with Microsoft. No matter how much computing power you throw at it, they'll make bigger bloatware to to suck up all the system resources. So. Yes, it's definitely Tammy's Law in action. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, we'll, we'll be, uh, we have our, our uh, last commercial break, and uh, when we come back, we're, we're going to explore the wild side of Tammy. There aren't too many okay, online marketing types that are also seven-time Burning Man veterans. Uh, so we'll be <laughs> back in two, Tammy, and we're going to uncover the real you. <laughs> More LPO landing page optimization in just a moment. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Welcome back to LPO, landing page optimization, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's Tim Ash. And we're back. This is your host, Tim Ash, with LPO, Landing Page Optimization, with my host, Tammy Everts. Uh, Tammy, seven-time <laughs> yes. Burning Man veteran. I've been to a few little hippie fests, you know, on the scale of 1,000 <laughs> to 2,000, but I think they've capped that event now at, what, 70,000 people? I think so. I actually I haven't been since my kids were born, but um, so I went kind of in the early days before it, it really went bananas. And uh, back when the, I think the last one that I went to had twenty five thousand people, and that seemed massive. So I don't even I don't even know how people cope with the size that it is now. Okay, so give me two super memorable things, like things you'll carry around with you for a long time. <laughs> 
I'm okay. I'm going to give you two censored, um, memorable things. Okay. I need to think about this for a second. No, no, don't censor. Just, just lay it out there. This is not broadcast television. So we're okay. okay. There's a, okay. I've just got to, I've got to, um, just, there's a lot of, I've a, just a lot just, of, just, just a couple, just a couple. Okay. One of the things that I love about Burning Man is, um, just the fact that you, it's just you against the elements. So, um, you know, inevitably almost every year that I've gone, there've been massive, massive dust storms and I really love them, especially, you know, if you go down in an RV so you don't have to sleep in a tent in one, it's uh, they're really, really fun. And I think that, um, one of my, my favorite experiences at Burning Man was, um, I, my costume, I was a squeegee kid. Um, and so I, I kind of just had the squeegee <laughs> material, I kind of tucked into my backpack and stuff. And I went out on my bike in a dust storm. So you I, like maybe three feet of visibility in front of me and just, just cycling blind in a dust storm. And then if I stopped and encountered people who looked dusty, I, I squeegeed them. So they, they were, they were clean again. <laughs> <laughs> they, they moved on. And I thought, you know, in hindsight, it was like, why did I, why did I like that so much? It was like, there was just, there's just something about the, the, just not, not knowing what was going to happen, like literally not being able to see in front of me, is a it's a very liberating experience if you're kind of a control freak. And then just like having those random moments of helping people, it was really nice. Like, hey, you look really dirty. Would you like me to clean you? And people they said yes. Then I cleaned them. And, and Burning Man kind of has a, a gift economy, so people would give me really nice gifts in exchange. Um, even though I, you know, it wasn't why I was doing it. It was so uh, that that. That was probably. Well, you know, I, I think that if if nothing else, too, this is probably fantastic preparation for the uh, eighteen years of service you're involved in now raising <laughs> kids because they certainly get messy. You know, my kid came back from skateboarding yesterday, and it was like that uh, that kid from Peanuts. You know. Uh, Schroeder, I think, or whichever one has the cloud of dust swirling around him. Yeah, you're thinking Pigpen. Yeah, Pigpen, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right, well, uh, let's see. uh, We we only have a couple of minutes left. I wanted to uh, ask you if you had just like a a must-do list or a must-avoid list, you can mix and match them. Let's give three practical tips for people really quickly uh, on – you know, uh, on improving their page loading experience, which is absolutely critical to conversion. Okay, so just three. I can make these really fast. Monitor. You need to measure your pages, know how they're performing, ideally in real time, and monitor their performance constantly. You can't fix what you can't measure, so you need to measure what your what, how your pages are performing. And, and there's some free and detailed tools that tell you exactly yeah. where the latencies are and exactly what parts of your page load in and what sequence, right? Exactly. It's like my, my CDN comment earlier. I mean, there are there are open source tools, there are paid tools, but there's there are but whatever you, whatever your budget, there's there's a tool out there for it. I mean, ideally, I'd like it if you use Sosta's tools, but that's not required. There's a, there's a lot of great tools out there for really user monitoring. The next uh, uh, tip that I would give people is to really look at your page size. The one thing, when I when I look at pages that um, load quickly versus those that, that don't load quickly, there are a lot of like, you know issues that can, that can slow down pages, and we talked about those earlier. But the one thing that the faster pages all have in common is that they are one megabyte in size or less. So if you can have that as kind of your set of performance budget for your pages, a size, uh, you know, put your pages on a Diet, that's going to help you a lot. And um, okay, so that's uh, let me rephrase that. Don't be a pig. Make lightweight pages. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and, and think about your users as well. I mean, the average page served to mobile users is over in size. Um, that's one megabyte of, of bandwidth that people are using up. And you, know, you, don't, you don't know what people's data plans are like. Uh, you don't know if people are coming to or visiting your country and they've got really expensive data. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a public service. And also so helps be, be res- yeah, so be respectful too. Yeah, and, and uh, more and more pages are being viewed on mobile and there's definitely caps. Ten, 10 gigabytes a month doesn't go as far as you wanted to, especially if you're streaming uh, Game of Thrones on, on YouTube, right? Yes, I went through twelve. No, sorry, twenty megs of uh, of of my data plan. I want a trip to the U.S. in twelve minutes um, on one visit, and I was really <laughs> glad that I had a good data plan. Um, so yeah, and then okay. another piece of advice is um, uh, just optimize your pages. Look at the pages themselves. That means, as I, as I mentioned earlier, make sure that your style sheets are in the document head. Make sure that you are compressing your images so that they, you know, aren't you know, taking up one meg just for one hero image. Um, and do things like uh, if you're using custom fonts, then keep that to a minimum because that has a performance penalty as well. Host your fonts if you can so that you can monitor their performance. Um, things like that. Like really just look at your pages and understand that optimizing for performance isn't just something you hand off to your developers and say, okay, well, I've designed this beautiful page. Now you deal with it. Everybody who touches a page, whether they're a designer, whether they're a marketer, whether they're um, a CMO, whoever in your organization, if they have input into what goes on a page, they need to understand the performance impact of what they're doing. And so that requires kind of company-wide education about about performance. Well, well, that's that's fantastic. That's exactly what I was hoping for. And, you know, I, I, of course, I mentioned that there's a lot of tools out there, but for those of you that are not using it, you guys have some free tools as well to get started. Go to Sosta.com for load testing and performance monitoring stuff, S-O-A-S-T-A.com. Uh, Tammy, if, uh, I know you do a bit of speaking as well. Uh, where are you going to be uh, in, in the fall? Um, I'm going to be coming to New York for the Velocity Conference and uh, to Toronto for Web Unleashed. That's in, um, Web Unleashed is in September, Velocity is in October, and then hopefully going to uh, Velocity in Amsterdam in, uh, in uh, late October. I've really got my fingers crossed about that one. <laughs> well, that, that, that's, that's a fantastic city I visited for the first time. Uh, uh, last fall and uh, absolutely uh, fell in love with it. So, uh, Tammy, I know we could just keep talking for hours, but unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, I want to thank you very much for being on the show and loyal listeners, we'll see you on the flip side. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.